This podcast is now brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. So let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And it's everything you need to make a podcast great in one place. All you have to do is download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the Breaking the Barrier podcast. This is episode 52. This podcast is sponsored by Generation You Can, the smarter energy nutrition that's powered by Superstarch, a slow-release complex carbohydrate that uniquely delivers steady, long-lasting energy to keep you fueled and feeling good. Visit generationyoucan.com.au and use the code BREAKINGTHEBARRIER for 15% off your first purchase. That's generationyoucan.com.au and use the code BREAKINGTHEBARRIER. Generation You Can, the best choice for steady energy. This podcast is also brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash breakingthebarrier. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That's www.audibletrial.com forward slash breaking the barrier. My name is Andrew Lorenzo, and I have committed myself to pushing my body and mind to their limits in my attempt to run a two-hour and 40-minute marathon by the year 2020. Over the course of my journey, starting in 2018, I've discovered many things about the human spirit that I want to share with all of you. It's my hope that I'll help you reach your true potential and inspire you to go above and beyond what you ever thought possible. With the help of an amazing community of listeners and speakers, we can all push ourselves harder than we ever have in hopes of breaking the barrier. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Breaking the Barrier podcast, where I hope to inspire you to go above and beyond what you ever thought possible. My name is Andrew Lorenzo. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can find all things Breaking the Barrier at the website, breakingthebarrierpodcast.com. You'll find detailed show notes, links to my life coaching and mindfulness coaching services, as well as a link to request to join the Breaking the Barrier Facebook community group. Of course, the Facebook community group is a place where you can go if you have questions, comments, victories, anything having to do with your journey. We're all there to help you out, listen, and celebrate your victories. I also want to remind you that if you are enjoying the podcast, please hop on iTunes, subscribe, and really, really important, leave a review. It takes like 20 seconds, and it will really help the popularity of the podcast in terms of getting it out there and letting more and more people hear it, because the more reviews I get, the more visible the podcast is. So we've got an exciting episode today. I'm going to be talking with Nick Jankowskis of Mets Performance about the importance of VO2 max and, of course, what it is. Before we get into that, I want to give a couple of shout-outs and mentions to some of the Breaking the Barrier members who are going above and beyond. So this first shout-out goes to Dean. So Dean posted in the Facebook community group with the results of his really ambitious goal for this year. Dean said, Hey, guys. At the start of this year, I set myself a stupid goal of running three ultramarathons over the year. Well, I'm happy to say that yesterday I successfully completed my third 50K for the year. I was dreaming of finishing yesterday's run in under five and a half hours and somehow managed to achieve that with a few minutes to spare. I'm so stoked. 
Never give up on your dreams, guys. With a little determination, anything is possible. What a great message, Dean. Thank you so much for sharing. And for those of you who are not part of the Facebook community group or or are part of the Facebook community group, just want to say once you get there, Dean actually has posted a race recap video, which is really awesome. Uh, He's done this a couple times, and they're really great to watch, so I really, really recommend that. And Dean, man, that is such a cool accomplishment. Like, really, really congratulations. Well done. Three ultras for the year and finishing the final one at under 530. That's really amazing, man. And I love your message. That's that's absolutely spot on. Never give up and keep that determination going. Shani had this to say on the Breaking the Barrier Facebook page. Just listen to episode 51. And you're so right. With the support of others that are there helping you, you can get through a sore run. Yes, I didn't do a full marathon, but I attempted my second half marathon, and stupid me, went into it already with a niggle and should have downgraded, but still went out there and started and felt okay till about six kilometers in. Then I totally messed it up at the nine kilometer mark and hobbled the last 14K. But with all the messages I got, I was determined to cross the finish line and collect my bling. I didn't get up at 4.30 a.m. to get a DNF against my name. Just think, next year we both have a redemption run to do and complete. Absolutely, Shani. I'm with you 110%. I'm so ready to get back to a race and have my revenge. And good on you for for continuing your race as well. I think you hit the nail spot on the head. You know, that running community is so important. And they just come out of the woodwork. I mean, they're always there. But when something's going wrong, they're there for you like so much and so fiercely that it would almost be impossible to not want to cross that line. Obviously, there are extenuating circumstances where you can't. But, you know, if you can, do. And congratulations on doing. So rock on. I'm noticing a pattern in the last couple. There's a lot of quote-unquote stupid things going on. Stupid goals. Stupid niggles. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll get there, everybody. We're all going to educate ourselves (laughs) soon. This note comes from Omar. Very inspirational. Keep up the good work, Andrew. I really enjoy this podcast and it helped me a lot preparing myself for my second full marathon as well as other topics related to running. Thanks again, Andrew. Ah, Omar. That's so nice. Thank you for sending that note in. That's that's really, that really means a lot to me. I'm, I'm glad that I was able to help you towards your marathon and and I'm so stoked that you got a PB in that one so thank you very much for sending that in Omar that's um that's huge and this last note comes from Austin Austin said I've been looking at the fire in my eyes trying for change but I always come up just short with your help this time I'll break through those barriers and change myself absolutely Austin I love the determination that I can just sort of hear coming from that message, man. Like, I I hope you go for it. And, you know, sometimes we do come up short. You know, I've come up short a lot of times in my life, and we don't always get it on the first try, and that's okay. But it sounds like you've got the determination to keep going, and I'm really excited to see where your journey takes you. So go for it, man. Absolutely go for it. So congratulations again to all the members of the Breaking the Barrier community who are going above and beyond. Remember, check out a link to request to join that or send me a message on Facebook or Instagram at Breaking the Barrier Podcast, and I will send you the link or approve your request so you can get in on that action. 
So, okay, I want to get into today's episode, speaking with Nick about VO2 Max and what exactly he does as a VO2 Max facility tester. So, at the very core, VO2 Max is basically known as maximal oxygen uptake, and it's the measurement of the maximum amount of oxygen a person can utilize during intense exercise. And Nick tests this and tests your body's ability to use this at his facility here in Melbourne. So Nick is a sports scientist and endurance performance coach at Mets Performance Consulting. He's a specialist in improving endurance economy by prescribing strength and conditioning and performing biomechanical analysis of human movement to ultimately improve endurance performance, simultaneously assisting the reduction of injury risk associated with endurance sports. He's got a Bachelor of Exercise in Sports Science with a major in sports coaching. He's an accredited exercise scientist. He's part of the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association. And he's an Australian Weightlifting Federation sports power coach. So he's definitely got the experience behind him. He knows what he's talking about. And this conversation was really awesome to have. If you want to get into the technical aspects of how you can improve your running and your athleticism, this is the conversation for you. So I hope you enjoy this discussion that I had with Nick Jankowskis of Mets Performance. Well, I'm here with Nick Jankowskis, who's agreed to come onto the podcast and talk a little bit about Mets Performance and what they do in terms of their VO2 max testing facility. So, Nick, thank you so much for coming on. That's really awesome. No worries. Thanks for uh, thanks for nailing the pronunciation on the last time too. Good one. Good. Uh, one. You know, it's always, a, always, always a tricky one. <laughs> <laughs> I've no, done it once. I'm not going to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> Pronouncing that's like uh, doing an ultra. I think you do it once and then you don't have to do it again. Yeah, correct. Correct. There you go. Get it right the first time. That's all right. So, Nick, tell me a little bit about your background. How'd you get involved with strength, conditioning, uh, cardiovascular stuff? Like, how'd, how'd that come about for you? Yeah, so um, ever since probably oh, I would have been about 15, 16 in, in high school, I've always wanted to work in, in endurance or performance anyway, in terms of human performance and, and sports science. Um, that's what led me to do my undergrad degree in exercise and sports science. Uh, which I graduated a couple of years ago now. Yep. Um, so three years at, at Deakin University. Through that time, sort of started to narrow my focus a little bit and initially wanted to get more into the strength and conditioning side of things. Uh, I guess working in, in really my focus has always kind of been in the endurance space. Um, competing in it as a kid myself in terms of triathlon, a bit of running, but then the stuff I do, uh, umpiring um, state league Australian rules football, so on the VFL, so a step below, um, the AFL has, has sort of put me in a position where I need to be a running-based athlete and be able to repeatedly sprint for, for 16, 17Ks across a game, however, whatever the game demands. So for, from that aspect, I guess what I was doing in my own training led me to endurance performance in, in a work capacity as well. Um, yeah. And then the, that, the internships I did throughout when I was studying and, and sort of towards the back end of my degree before I started working set me up really well so I interned at the University of Michigan um, in 20 end of 2016 in strength conditioning mostly in the in the Olympic sports department so softball baseball lacrosse 
soccer, pretty much everything except for their, their football and uh, basketball program, but had a real sort of keen keen take to the conditioning aspect again and, and working out how we can manipulate sort of energy system contribution and development to, to best help the endurance side of athletes' performance. And then coming back, worked in um, or interned at Melbourne Big Centre Swimming Club with with some upcoming sort of state, national and, and international swimmers there. Again, more in the, uh, I guess, endurance space with swimming being a high sort of endurance demand uh, sport. Yeah. And then post that really, um, Mets ever since. So the last two, two and a half years has been here based in Melbourne and Mets performance basically basically working with endurance endurance athletes like yourself. Uh, we saw, obviously saw you come in a few earlier this year um, to do some testing. We mainly specialize in the VO2 max space um, and having a look at an athlete's physiology from a, a testing perspective, understanding where someone's at, creating a baseline for them, analyzing the data of, of their performance at that point in time. And then hopefully be able to provide the, the appropriate recommendations to, to, I guess, guide athletes in the right direction, whether they be marathon runners, ultra runners, triathletes, cyclists, rowers. We've had uh, under 23 endurance kayakers come in. We've had cross-country skiers. We see a broad range of endurance athletes, but that's definitely where we do specialise. And so it's all sort of a comp, uh, come together pretty nicely with the experience that I gained throughout throughout uni and, and some internships but now working in the space has been really cool to I guess apply that knowledge and and help athletes like yourself uh, yeah. achieve achieve where they want to get to yeah absolutely so yeah cross-country skiing you know it's actually funny you mentioned cross-country skiing I, you, you never think about skiing as something that you need endurance for but then yeah. when you speak to somebody who actually does it and know what they're talking about it's like oh wow yeah that's pretty yeah crazy. absolutely absolutely and we've seen a few um cross-country skiing is a really interesting one because I mean, the endurance demand, like I said, isn't commonly thought about. Yeah. When you think of skiing, you, the first thing you think of is downhill, and you're like, oh, you, you don't have much endurance for downhill. It's all gravity-based and, and et cetera. But as soon as you get to the cross-country stuff and, and even something like biathlon starting to starting to pick up a bit where it's that combination of cross-country skiing and, and sort of the rifle shooting as well, um, that that's really interesting from an endurance perspective because you've got to be fit enough to complete the event. But yeah. particularly with biathlon is then – you got to have such control over your physiology to stop yourself, slow the heart rate down, be able to control what you're doing with your breathing to then shoot accurately, to then move on to the, the next part of the race. Yeah. Um, definitely definitely a sport that I haven't done massive amounts of working, but when we have seen athletes come in, it's they, they show some interesting traits in their physiology that's um, and they show an exceptional control over what how they manipulate their physiology, getting their heart rate back down nice and quick in their recovery periods because they need to be able to have that that sort of locked in so when they shoot they're shooting between some of them are shooting between heartbeats and holding their breath and it's it's insane the the control that those guys have um which we can then hopefully take some of that that knowledge across to other other endurance sports as well how can we get better control over what our pacing's like for runners or triathletes and and really lock down into knowing what our body's doing without an external device potentially telling us like a like a gps watch etc so that's been really cool yeah so basically so it all just kind of allows you to listen to your body a little bit more and become a little bit smarter about what you're doing. Cause you're absolutely right. I think uh, a lot of the time that we focus on the outside sources telling us what we're doing too much and yeah. uh, can definitely be a dangerous thing. So what yeah. exactly, now that we're talking about it, what exactly is VO2 max and what, what, what does the, the assessment sort of involve? So what's, what's, what's the process? Yeah. So I guess at a, as a starting point, the, the definition of VO2 max essentially is the maximum amount of oxygen you can take in transport and utilize in one minute. So what we're talking about is we're, we're measuring someone's aerobic power or, or the highest possible rate at which they can effectively use oxygen. Um, 
critical in, in endurance performance because it basically tells us our engine size. Um, yeah. it, it, for anyone who, who is listening to this who has seen some of the, the MET stuff before, we always talk about an endurance athlete like having a, an engine similar to what you would have in a car. I mean, a V6 engine is, is great, but a V8 engine is going to be more powerful. So VO2 max is essentially if the, the higher the VO2 max, the bigger the engine. Yep. How well you use that engine, though, is probably more critical for majority of endurance events. When we talk about VO2 max as an indicator of performance, it's usually the best indicator in things like rowers, 1,500-meter runner, 800 runner, events lasting that five to six-minute duration in and around there mm-hmm. because you're going to be working at 100 110% of that VO2 max intensity. You're going to be sort of really pushing the aerobic system to its utmost limits. Yeah. with a bit of, a pretty high anaerobic contribution to get you through the event. And then there's no real consequence to how much you fatigue because the event's done in five, six minutes. When we talk about the longer stuff though, marathon running, triathlon, whatever it may be, we're now more interested in the percentage you can hold of that engine. Hence why the engine size being bigger is usually an advantage. Um, so a high VO2 max isn't, isn't necessarily the number one predictor. It's, it's more, we just have to into sort of lactate threshold, which is that, that functional ability to use that engine and yep. coming back to my analogy before is you can have a v6 running on six cylinders that's pretty cool but if you have a v v8 running on seven cylinders you're probably still gonna be more powerful and you're still using a greater percentage anyway so we're, we're looking at how how can we maximize the use of that that big engine how can we make the most of how much oxygen we can use obviously it is important and, and having a high vo2 max is one piece of the puzzle but where a lot of people get sort of sort of caught up or or misguided a bit is they go i need to have a really high vo2 max well yes it helps but it's not the it's not always the number one thing you need to focus on it's it really comes down to what is your goal and what is your event really and how applicable is is the vo2 max number itself to that not to say though it's not completely irrelevant is it is definitely still a key metric but it's just one piece of the puzzle and how like what what sort of ways when you say you know make it more efficient like what would you what would you say would do that what what would you do to utilize that vo2 max in the best possible way you, you mean like as in run, running efficiency and that sort of thing yeah so uh, really the the number one thing is because we are talking about aerobic power like i said it, it is super specific to those shorter events so um in, in terms of making the most of that vo2 max intensity the athletes who are doing it are, are competing over five, six minutes. Um, anyone who's competing really sort of half an hour and longer um, or even probably sort of 20 minutes or longer isn't really going to be sitting or, or want to be sitting anywhere near that VO2 max intensity in their, in their event. So, so yeah. like I said, it, it sort of, it really depends on who you are. Um, if we are talking about marathon running, like uh, as an example, no one's going to be sitting at their VO2 max intensity over a marathon. You'd be crazy. Um, you'd basically, on the limit, going as hard as you possibly can. And like I said, you're probably only going to last five or six minutes. So you're going to spend a lot of that time in the marathon trying to walk and recover. So so making the most of it, like it is, it is useful, but it's important not to get caught up on that aspect too much. Um, it is just a, it is just a measure of what, what can your aerobic system do at its absolute max because if we know that then we're going to know sub maximally as well and this is where the data from the testing is super critical and uh, i think we're probably going to get into how we assess and and what we do in a testing protocol in a sec but um the sub maximal aspect and what we're getting before we hit vo2 max at lower intensities more specific to our racing 
tells us more about your physiology over long, longer distances than than what VO two max does. Even though VO two max is is sort of the thing we are. Number, I guess it is the the test itself. That is what the ultimate outcome is. It's the data leading up to it that is almost just as, if not more, important than than the VO two max number itself. So. Um, it really just comes down to if we've got a high VO2 max, you've got an excellent usage of oxygen. At the end of the day, you can take in transport, utilize really well. Can we now apply that greater ability to do those three things to our race intensities lower down at those more sub-max intensities? Right. And so what what does the actual assessment involve? So how do you how do you find out somebody's VO2 max? Yeah, so really there's we do we do a couple of different test protocols um, here at METS. For two different purposes, really. If we're just concerned about VO2 max, like I said before, for those shorter distance events, we'll put athletes through a what we call a one-minute ramp test. So we start out pretty comfortable intensity. Every minute, if we're on the treadmill, for example, every minute we increase the speed by half a kilometre an hour and basically just keep going until you can't run anymore. So usually test lasts about sort of 10, 12 minutes. That test protocol is really, really good for getting VO2 max. Sure pretty much just VO2 max. We just want to see the highest possible ventilation, highest possible heart rate, really, and the, the greatest usage of oxygen at, at, at those variables to give us the, the highest VO2 max we can and run at the highest speed. 10 to 12 minutes, you're not going to be inhibited too much by accumulated fatigue. Yes, lactic acid is going to be up there by the end, but it's not long enough to really start making it absolutely hurt and impact how high that VO2 max number can get. Yep. So that's one side of the spectrum. We use that for a very small portion of our clients that come in and see us. Like I said, five, uh, 800, 1500 meter runner, perfect. The one that we majorly use for the longer distance events isn't quite as good at getting the best VO2 max result. So you get a little bit of a, so it's only a couple of percent lower than what you probably could get to, but it gives us more advantage in terms of those submax zones that I was talking about before. So we use a three minute ramp test. So yep. every three minutes, we'll increase the speed by 1K an hour, again, using the treadmill example. So we have bigger steps up, but it's over a longer period of time, allowing an athlete to steady state a bit more at that stage. Sure. Test goes for about 18 to 20 minutes on average. But what it allows us to do is then take a blood lactate sample. And this is where, at the end of each stage, because we've steady state, and this is where the useful information comes from. Because if we can get that blood lactate sample, we can now specifically pinpoint at each intensity throughout the test as it gets harder. Where are things starting to change from an aerobic versus anaerobic con- construct? So what are our energy system contribution doing? Um, where are we starting to uh, reduce that efficiency or become a little bit uh, better or worse at using oxygen? What intensities are, it, are certain things happening in our physiology? Where are we seeing some significant change? Um, are we, where are we seeing that, that, I guess, lactate threshold point we know for most people about four millimoles of lactate um is roughly where they're going to hit their lactate threshold some people are higher say six and a half seven millimoles i've seen some people are lower three three and a half we looked we look for a jump of two millimoles or more this sort of exponential increase or rapid sudden rapid increase in lactic acid um, matched by things like rapidly increasing ventilation to bring air into and oxygen in to clear out that acidity um but we can pinpoint those aspects in our physiology from that three-minute ramp test because we've got more time to analyze each intensity. We've got three minutes at five-minute Ks and then three minutes at 4.36 pace as opposed to the one-minute ramp test where it's you've got 60 seconds. You're not hitting a steady state. Nothing is really getting to a point where it's sort of stabilizing for that intensity. We can have a look at that block. It's constantly just 
everything's on the rise throughout the entire test. It's putting us in periods of, in a one-minute ramp test because it's happening so quickly and the change doesn't have enough time to sort of kick in and stabilise. We're always in this period of what we call oxygen deficit. So our, our oxygen supply isn't really having enough time to catch up and meet our demand, hence why heart rate will just constantly rise throughout the test. We still get this period in a three-minute ramp test when we increase the intensity. This is why when you when you start to run fast, your heart rate goes up a little bit and your ventilation goes up is because we're trying to supply more oxygen. But if the intensity is constantly increasing at a, at a rate where it's too fast for us to catch those responses up in time, we're not going to hit that steady state where heart rate starts to just flatten off for a bit, might stay at the same um, same BPM for, for a minute or so. Ventilation starts to flatten out. Our respiratory rate starts to settle. Um, lactate as a, as a whole will start to steady state a little bit. It's not constantly on the rise. So it just gives us a better picture of what you're going to be doing in those, those sub-maximal intensities. So we use that mostly for our longer longer duration events and longer duration athletes. It also gives us the ability to have a look at what someone's training zones are and break down, all right, from a zone two long, slow running perspective, depending on how many how many zones you're using. Um, we use a five-zone system, so zone two is your, your long, slow, continuous running. Um, what heart rate do we need to be sitting at? What pace does that correlate to for a best effect in terms of building the Ks into your legs, um, managing fatigue? What types of intervals do we need to be doing? We can see those clear progressions um, through the three-minute ramp test better than the one. But the downside is VO2 max as a whole, we slightly get a, an impacted reading because it is a longer test. So yeah. it is a bit of a trade-off. Like I said at the start, though, it's it's all what information do you need and we'll apply the appropriate test protocol to give you the information that you need. Yeah, right. And I remember that. I remember we started, when I did it, I think we started at like a six-minute mm. kilometer and then mm. we ended somewhere just below a five-minute kilometer. And it wasn't, it's not like that's that, I mean, it's quick, but it's not like that, that quick, but it's like a hard yep. test. Like you start at this yep. easy pace and then all of a sudden 15 minutes in, you're like, oh my God, why is yeah. this so hard? It's funny that, but yeah, yeah. It's an yeah, intense the, the test. First, the, yeah, the first three quarters of the test, pretty pretty comfortable. Um, yeah. I, only did, I only did my own testing a couple of weeks ago and yeah, you, every time I test, I forget, uh, not forget about, I know it's coming, but you, you're in the test and you get caught up in the moment and you go all of a sudden, with sort of six or so minutes to go, you, you hit that threshold and just above and you're like, gee, this got hard all of a sudden. Like yeah. you're cruising along and then that last six, seven minutes is just, yeah, it's hard. It's tough. Yeah. And that's, it's like, that's where it's just motivation comes into it. We, we get the, we get the tunes on in here and, and start yelling and screaming because <laughs> trying to get people up to get them through the end because it, it becomes a mental battle at, at that last little couple of minutes. Totally. Yeah. Like, like yeah. a lot of running does. Look at that. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And so sort of once you uh, once you sort of know what your VO2 max is, well, actually, before that, what, what's a good like what's an average sort of number for a VO2 max? For depends what. we're Yeah, it depends what we're looking at. I, we get asked this question a lot and I always it, it's almost the million dollar question in terms of what's a good VO2 max and what's an average one. And and having a this particular VO2 max, is that going to do me um, do me better or worse? At the end of the day, so we've got two two types of VO2 max. I'll cover this first because this will make a little bit more sense. We've got what we call our absolute VO2 max, which is just the total amount of oxygen you can take in transport utilize in, uh, at a maximal level in one minute. That just is an absolute amount. It's what you're taking in regardless of your genetic, physiological, and anatomical factors. Yep. So generally in that in that regard, we see bigger, taller athletes 
have really high absolute VO2 maxes. Um, as, as an example, we, like, and where that stems from is just bigger lung capacity, more muscle mass, more blood volume, et cetera. So they can take and transport, utilize more. Um, we also have our relative VO2 max. So we take your absolute, we divide it by your body weight in kilograms, gives us our relative VO2 max. And this is the one that most people talk about. It's what you get on your Garmin if it estimates VO2 max, um, yeah. on your watch, things like that. Um, it's milliliters of oxygen per kilogram per minute. So it, it'll come out as something like something pretty average. When I say average for depends on your your age category, your gender, height, weight, a, a, a lot of different characteristics, but something that's pretty average that we see across, let's say your, your upper upper tier amateur athletes. So there may be in a, in a triathlete circumstance, there might be a top 10, top, top 15 in their age group finisher. Probably somewhere around a 60 mark is what we generally see at those those upper ends of the age groups. Um, so in terms of general population, though, probably close to 45, 50 is just a good good average score for someone who's somewhat fit, but they're not, they don't call themselves sort of a top-end age group or they're not really training for something specific. Um, they're just sort of general fitness, sort of 45 to 50 is pretty typical. Your elite guys... It, and again, probably I'm getting these numbers more from the male side of things to start with, but the elite guys are generally sort of, depending on their sport up in the 60, yeah. anywhere really 65 plus is starting to get on the elite end of the spectrum with your guys like your Chris Frooms in, in the Tour de France, your um, Kipchoge, you obviously, what, two days ago, break, broke two hours for the marathon for the first time, which is pretty impressive. I was impressive. about to ask you what you think his was. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, he's probably high 80s, I would yeah, say. Wow. I mean, he's, he's probably 55 kilos doesn't have the best absolute, but it probably like what four and a half, five thousand. It's for his size, it's probably pretty high up there. But he's not carrying the mass, so he's got a. He'd probably have yeah somewhere in the high eighties, I would think. Um, some of the top end cyclists are in the nineties. Like highest record is like ninety six. Again, coming back to cross country skiing, those guys are are insane because of the altitude effect that they get in their training and the demand of their sport as well. So really, it's what what's good for your sport. Typically, we see really big VO2 maxes uh, relative in cyclists, yep. an interesting one, because um, often we talk about runners using more ma- more muscle mass. So you might think that um, with the arms swinging, legs going, cross-country skiers, things like that, you, you might have more oxygen usage across your whole body. So that can lead to higher VO2 max. But we often see, particularly in cyclists, we see VO2 max a lot higher, purely from the fact that they're able to get their ventilation up there. They can yeah. get more air in to start with because their body's in a stable position. Um, the torso is quite relaxed. There's no impact coming up through the ground, through their leg, jamming up their diaphragm, um, causing that shortened breath. They can really just open their lungs up and get that full deep breath in. So when they're breathing faster, they're making the most of how much air they're getting in. Not all of that air is oxygen, um, but if we can get more air in, if you can get a ventilation of like we've seen, we saw a six foot six, 110 kilo cyclist get his ventilation up to like 266 liters of air coming into his lungs every minute. That's huge. Of course, he's going to have a high usage of oxygen because he's got so much better chance at getting oxygen in the first place. Um, so that type of thing, we generally see cyclists can get up to those high 80s and, and 90s at the elite level, um, whereas runners sort of struggle to get up there a bit. But running then also becomes a bit more about what your economy is doing. So you may not have the highest oxygen usage um, in the field, but if your technique is is wasting the least amount of energy and you're making the most of that aerobic energy production, um, that is also a pretty critical part of the puzzle, as well as what 
percentage of your engine you can hold over the duration of the race, etc. So this is where we can start talking about, I mean, coming back to Kipchoge, obviously everyone's all across the, the 4% Nikes and the, the, the next percenters <laughs> as well. Um, yeah. It's the type of thing that, I mean, at the end of the day, those, those four percenters or the next percenters, um, the, the research on them was that they would drop oxygen consumption at the same intensity by, what was it, 4%, really? So it'd be yeah. 4% lower. What does that mean? It, well, you're not having to expend as much energy um, o- overall. So it t- basically makes that workload a little bit easier. So when they do push push the pace up a bit, he's just cruising. I mean, if, if you watch the back end of it, I think from 36 kilometres into the rest of the rest of the race, except for I think the last K, because he obviously picked it up and got rid of the paces and went off. He's averaging 250 pace per K. I mean, and he and he's smiling. He's cruising. Like I love it, I love watching him run. He's always smiling. <laughs> he's yeah, always it, smiling. It, it's nuts. But a lot of that stems from running economy. I mean, yeah. he he doesn't want to be using necessarily massive amounts of oxygen and burning huge amount of fuel. He wants to be his. I don't, I don't like using the word efficient because it's strictly not correct in terms of the physiology, but he wants to be as economical as possible, mm. make the most of the auction he is using, but a lot of that comes from his biomechanics. Um, you watch his technique and it's this effortless floating technique that he's not wasting a, a, a single um, milliliter of oxygen or, or energy usage. He's just floating through and uh, and getting the most of it. So in terms of VH Max, he may not have one of the highest record in the world, but he can use a really high percentage of the engine he's got and he makes, he makes that engine work as economically as he can. Yeah. Um, so, so the, the, you can start to see there's a few more factors that work into it above, above and beyond what, what VO2 max can tell us, um, which is why all that submaximal data is really critical. And so once you know what that VO2 max is and yep. what, what, what can you do? Like, what can you specifically as a runner, say as a runner, what can you do with that information? Mm-hmm. How can you improve it? Can you improve it? Uh, what comes next? Yeah, so the big the big one is um, for, from our perspective, obviously we break down the data, and, and as you know, when you come in, we we analyze the data for a couple of key points. R- really looking for for our we we use a five zone training zone system to to give the information. So um, zone one being active recovery, zone two your endurance or long slow, zone three a threshold slash tempo. Um, you can break that one down into two if you like. Zone four being you sort of. In above threshold to VO2 max, and then zone five, technically speaking, being above VO2 max, so semi-anaerobic. Um, from the information we do also get through ventilation, what your lactate's doing, we and, and what your usage of oxygen is like, we can have a look at, all right, which end of the spectrum do you really fit? We see two common, common types in athletes that do come in. The first one, which is the most common, is a lot of endurance athletes typically will do lots of long, slow, continuous training makes sense we need to accumulate the k's in the legs we're really good in terms of just going all day at a pretty comfortable pace so we generally see the usage of oxygen is really quite consistent and then sort of getting towards threshold things start to decline quite rapidly um lactate starts to increase really really fast because all of a sudden our body goes i can use oxygen really well but i can't use it quickly and as that rate increases as we increase intensity we need to get more oxygen in faster but our body just can't process it um it's like having it's like having doors i mean if you if you're like i'm sitting in the office here we've got one door coming into our office i can only get say 100 people through that door in 10 minutes great that's probably manageable but as soon as i have to get 100 people through my door in 10 seconds no good struggle so i need to now work out ways that i can get more pathways in which can come from the long slow stuff but how can i get those doors instead of just being an open shut for every person 
they're now a revolving door or a turnstile or screw it, I'll just knock out this double wall that I got behind me and everyone can just flood in a lot faster. Instead of having one treadmill to process the testing and everyone in here, I've got seven treadmills or 10 treadmills. So I'm getting through a lot more and creating a lot more work and energy um, at that time, if that analogy makes sense. So yeah, that's the typical mold we see, in which case 